0: This is a bonus episode! While recording the most recent episode of Museums and Strange Places, I spent over two hours exploring the gorgeous, historic St. Mary's city and talking to the museum's executive director, Regina Fadden. Obviously, I had to leave out some great moments, but I didn't want you to miss out on hearing about the Archaeology Field School at the museum, a partnership with the nearby St. Mary's College of Maryland that expands researchers' understanding of life in Saint Mary City, while giving archaeology students a chance to work on one of the best-preserved 17th-century sites in the country.
1: Everywhere we go, there's something else to be found, and we do do research. We have a, a staff, a research staff, who are doing historical research. We have a uh, field school that is taught by um, our Director of Research and Collections. And so college students come here every year, somewhere between usually eight and 14, who learn how to do archeology span and help contribute to the record of historic St. Mary City. And usually we have them working on a site that we're interested in investigating. So here we are at the site of the Leonard Calvert House. This was the first official state house of Maryland. And you can see it isn't here, (laughs) Uh, but the students who are here Half of them are from St. Mary's College, half of them from other schools, but studying with uh, Dr. Travis Parno and learning the methods of uh, archaeology. So we're in the field, that's what they're learning. Can't see it here, but they've dug squares. Travis is hosing off some ground here, and maybe he can talk to us for a second.
0: Yeah. You want to introduce yourself real quick. Sure.
2: Hi, my name is Travis Parno. I'm Director of Research and Collections.
0: So, what's everyone working on here today? What's so, r-
2: right now we are uh, working at the Leonard Calvert House, which is the home of the first governor of Maryland from the early 17th century. And we are excavating in the north yard of that house, trying to identify any evidence we can find of outbuildings that were associated with the governor's house. So, that could be anything like a storehouse, or a kitchen, or a dairy, or a stables. And in order to find that, we dig a number of uh, excavation units in search of uh, post holes, which are sort of stains in the soil left behind when a post was excavated, placed in the ground, and then either removed or decayed in place. So we dig through a number of different layers while we're out here, through our topsoil, down through uh, a mixture of material that was uh, combined through agricultural plowing over the last 200 years or so, and then we get down into what we call the subsoil, which is where we can see features that were cut into the soils back in the 17th century.
0: (laughs) That looks like back-breaking work.
1: Yeah, wrist-breaking more like.
0: (laughs)
2: The two projects that I'm working on currently right now, one is looking for evidence of the earliest fort that was built by the English colonists when they came here in 1634. After 50 years of archeology, span that's kind of the one big missing piece uh, that's that we haven't added to our portfolio just yet, but we're doing some ground penetrating radar and other types of what we call remote sensing to try and see below the ground surface, rather than using excavation um, in a couple target areas that have traditionally been thought of the possible locations of that fort. So that work is ongoing. We hope to have more information about that, you know, maybe by the end of the calendar year, but we'll see. Uh, the other main research project that I've been engaged with is because we've been out working out here at uh, Leonard Calvert House, uh, which was home of the governor in the 17th century. But by the end of the century, the house had been sold back to the colony for use as the first state house in Maryland. But because the government only met infrequently, they leased it to a series of innkeepers, and it became the largest ordinary or tavern in 17th century Maryland. So I've gotten very interested in ordinaries and their role as public sites in the 17th century uh, period in Maryland, and That has led me into an investigation of slavery in Maryland, which is kind of, those topics seem a little incongruous, but uh, in reality, the people who operated ordinaries, who got the licenses from the government to run these, these public institutions, were the powerful people in town in the 17th century. These were the people who had the capital to invest in labor. And it's in 1664 where we see the act concerning Negroes and other slaves, where we see, for the first time in Maryland, the legal codification of enslavement for life. And so this this is a, a really important watershed moment for Maryland uh, and Maryland's history that, that has kind of gotten overlooked in, in some ways. And so through the avenue of ordinaries and ordinary keepers, I find myself investigating the legal and social origins of slavery in Maryland uh, in the 17th century. Really, because when we think about slavery, it's, oh, it's an 18th century thing. That's where you have plantations and hundreds, um, maybe even thousands of slaves on, on some of your your largest plantations. But here, slavery really did have its beginnings in one or two slaves per household in uh, the sort of the, the houses of the upper upper crust as we transition out of indentured servitude into full, uh, full enslaved uh, labor supply. So that's sort of where we're heading, um, and we'll see where we go from there.
0: Thanks for listening and stay tuned for the next episode coming soon. Music in this episode is by Hesperus from their album, An American Quilt, released on the Maggie's Music Label.